Hello, I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. So we're done with season two, Asylum. Done. Done. Finito. Yes. <laughs> no more. No more Monsignor. No more Monsignor. <laughs> Thank you. Thank God. And as we did with the previous season with Murder House, in between, instead of just jumping into the next season, uh, which will be Coven, which personally very pumped for, but we thought it would be fun to just round off our rewatch of Asylum with, in a similar vein to the Murder House Awards, the first, probably last Asylum Awards. Yeah, do they? I, is that a thing? Just made it uh, a thing. <laughs> for uh, institutions. Every, every industry has an award, right? Mm-hmm. An award show. So it's probably, it's probably not so insensitively named, but probably out there somewhere. Also probably not with the sheer amount of extremely random and probably very insensitively named award categories. Yes. (laughs) But in the spirit of American Horror Story, I think it's appropriate. Yeah, we're not going to do like best outpatient care (laughs) this year. (laughs) They, Briarcliff would lose in every single proper category. Yeah, I I feel like it would. (laughs) (laughs) So let's kick off with something. um, I mean, these are going to range between fun and slightly depressing to quite violent. Yeah. That's kind of our, our range. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that sounds right. <laughs> that sounds accurate. <laughs> Did I also just um accidentally describe the entirety of American Horror Story? Pretty, yeah, they could put that on the, the DVD box. <laughs> <laughs> so let's begin with the best random musical number. The name game. I can't remember the words. It's really complicated. But I um, I really love the name game. It's one of my favorite American Horror Story moments, period. Just because it's so, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so out of the blue. And just like we talked about in the, in the, the episode dedicated to the, um, the episode of the same name. It's just filmed in a really weird way where half of the people are participating in the musical number and half of them kind of aren't. And I guess because it, it it's the first American Horror Story, mm-hmm. like proper musical number, it it is, it's like a plot twist in itself, almost. <laughs> like, surprise! <laughs> it's, people can do music, it's musicals now. <laughs> like the one genre mash that you did not expect in the show we're going to give it to you. Yeah, because I would never have expected musicals to come into it until this point. So I think <laughs> that's why I, I love it so much. How about you? I'm going to go a little bit rogue. And even though it's not 
strictly as uh, a kind of a big flashy musical moment as the name game is, I really love it when Lily Rab, possessed by Satan, uh, so Sister Satan, is singing or lip syncing to You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore. And she's got kind of her red on slip dress and she's kind of throwing stuff at the crucifix. So it's very on the nose symbolism, but also she's amazing in that scene. She's so she's really good as that character as well. Mm. <laughs> I know I not to sort of just bring it up now that we've finished this season, but <laughs> she's great. Like really it's good sinister like um scary sexy. Yes. Scary sexy and also kind of very manipulative in very specific ways to every single character that she interacts with. Yeah. So moving on to our next award category. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even do it with a serious face. Because <laughs> the next award is for the best random background Briarcliff patient. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> I feel like I don't pay attention, which is really rude of me. <laughs> I don't know. You have, do you have one? I do. Um, it is oh, towards the end of the season after Kit is released and he goes back to visit Alma and the, she asks to see their kids and then we just get this random insert shot of two patients having sex on one of the on one of the armchairs that's just in the common room in Briarcliff and I was like oh okay so that's happening now oh yeah because that's meant to be the moment where it's like look what a bad job they're doing taking care of this place as opposed to before (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a good shout there's always people playing chess right i feel like there's always somebody playing chess in the background and there's also the wanky man who appears towards the beginning of the series yeah but he kind of has he's kind of a character that guy is he because isn't he just like introduced as the dude who compulsively masturbates and that's it yeah i mean that counts right (laughs) that's character (laughs) development yeah. He has like a lighter dialogue, right? He's got He's goals like, and dreams. I masturbate a lot. <laughs> That's my deal. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um so Okay. I I'll have him if if I'm allowed him, because he's great. I mean he's all yours. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the compulsively wanking man is all yours. <laughs> thank you. I'm so honored. <laughs> Moving on to our first violent award. What do you think is the best bloody face kill? Uh, that donut guy that he kills off screen <laughs> in the finale. <laughs> where he's like, "You, uh, I'm so smart. I killed the donut guy. You didn't oh, see that coming. Oh That's like my favorite bloody face move. <laughs> yep. I uh, <laughs> I really applaud that choice. <laughs> it's interesting that I also picked a son of bloody face kill, uh, which might be slightly predictable, but um, when he kills Adam Levine by ripping off his arm. Yeah, I mean, we had to shout that out. <laughs> so Adam Levine cannot mishold a fucking Laker camera ever again. 
that's why you love it? Because yeah. <laughs> it, it, it prevented him from incorrectly holding a camera. I yes. love it. <laughs> Never again will you abuse the fine art of photography. Well, quite. Amazing. <laughs> and moving on to a, a nicer, gentler award category. What would you say is Kit's most empathetic moment? Because he is deemed by the aliens as the most empathetic creature on the planet, I guess? Of the planet! <laughs> <laughs> like every saint, like charitable head of a charitable organization, civil rights leaders. <laughs> no, it's this guy. This guy who married twice, it's him. <laughs> or not married twice. No, he married twice. He got married twice. Well, That's like his thing that he did in his life. Three times. Three times. He got married three... This guy who got married three times and didn't really do anything else in his life. <laughs> <laughs> got accused of murder. Yeah. Had some got kids. accused of murder. Um, I, I think it, for me, it's... The moment where he... I know I'm picking a lot of stuff from the finale. Maybe that's just because my memory is so terrible. But the moment where he confronts Lana and tells her that she has to go back. And she has to expose uh, Briarcliff. Because I think that that took a lot of guts to stand up to, like, Miss Fame. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, Miss Bestseller everything. Because she's, you know, seeing that person that he's gone through such a, a traumatic experience with, seeing her just completely changed in front of him, uh, it's kind of a lot to take in, I imagine, for him to still be like, look, <laughs> I know you've all got all this stuff in your life now, but you made a promise and you have to hold, mm-hmm. you know, you have to stand by it. I would say that's his... That's a great choice. Yeah, because he didn't have to do that mm-hmm. at all. He could have just moved on with his life and he yeah. didn't. That's a great choice. Mine would be when, again, kind of from towards the tail end of the series, it would be that moment when he wordlessly helps Lana escape right in front of the Monsignor, when he Mm. sort of distracts the Monsignor as she's going down the stairs behind him. And again, he didn't really need to do that. And if if they got caught, he would have been massively um, punished for it. And I think kind of it's that silent knowing what to do to help her in that moment that that really did it for me. Yeah, that's a really good choice. I mean, Kit's Kit's pretty great. Kit <laughs> is a pure boy. Yeah, he's a very pure human being. Oh. And from the purest to the worst possible human being, what would be? The worst Monsignor moment of Asylum. I can't even choose because <laughs> everything he did was terrible. It's spoiled for choice. I think, I think for me, it's the way that he treats Sister Jude sort of after she's been institutionalized. Mm-hmm. And he's all like, because, you know, we got such a connection, babe. Um, 
you know, and we we're we're in this together when he has literally just institutionalized her, mm -hmm. um, and then trying to like talk all sweet to her. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think that for me is like the most. Well, no, it's not the most morally reprehensible thing he does because he uh -huh. does a bazillion morally reprehensible things. But I yep. think I don't know. It's just it's the betrayal the, of sister. The two-facednessness mm. of it uh, is, uh, but just like every time he breathes would be my <laughs> my real answer. <laughs> every breath he takes. Every breath he takes. <laughs> Makes me want to kill him. <laughs> I have a very specific moment that I would like to be recognized as the the worst Monsignor moment. And it's quite inoffensive compared to the big betrayal. And it's when they're decorating the Christmas tree and Sister Sister Satan is sort of replacing Sister Jude at this point. And he is just all up her ass being like oh my god you're so resourceful even your decorations are so great you've shown such resourcefulness it's like you know absurdist outsider art oh yeah the the cocktail party you know, amateur art critic moment yep it's the it's what you coined um <laughs> what you called man man looking at art Man, man looking at art he doesn't understand yeah. but is trying to explain it to some woman anyways and then yep. the woman turns out to be the artist that's how it goes every time <laughs> like yeah no I made this god I'm so happy we're done with him <laughs> again just to reiterate absolutely none of this bile is directed towards Joseph Fiennes, who does an oh, amazing no. job. Joseph Fiennes is great. I love him. Yes. Shakespeare in love. Love it. Uh, terrible, great movie. <laughs> I haven't seen um, it in such a long time. I mean, it's just like aggressively ridiculous. <laughs> I remember Ben Affleck in it, isn't it? Yeah. Rupert Everett plays Christopher Marlowe? Is that a thing? Colin Firth is in it, right? I think so. Yeah, I also haven't seen it in a while. Hmm. Anyway. Sorry, Joseph Fines. <laughs> we let you down. You're great, though. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Joseph Fiennes is, is wonderful. And and I think it's a great talent to be able to <laughs> so create a character that is so just, like, repellent to me. <laughs> it takes a lot of talent. And then let's move on to... A couple of Lana-centric awards, because as we've discussed over many hours of talking about Asylum, this is pretty much the story of Lana Winters. And her character is one of the richest ones in Asylum, and the one that kind of undergoes the biggest arc and the biggest journey. So let's begin with something quite light. What do you think is the best Lana Winters outfit? Oh, it's the suit that she wears at the book reading. Ooh, I'm obsessed with it. The, the blue, blue suit. <gasps> yes. Just because the tailoring on it is so perfect. 
mm. and the proportions and it just like this isn't an exciting answer it's quite boring because it's just like me enjoying good tailoring because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a blue suit but I that's the one I would want to wear so mm -hmm. badly and look like that in it specifically amazing <laughs> <laughs> um mine would be the polar opposite of that it would be in this brief flashback that we see of Lana in the 70s going to visit baby Johnny Morgan and she's wearing this fur leather coat and the big uh, Farrah Fawcett sunglasses yes and she's just all mean and she picks on some kids and she threatens some kids which for some reason I found aspirational <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah just her just her overall kind of very confident I'm no longer the plucky journalist vibe but I'm like I'm a bad bitch just strolling into a random orphanage and gonna push around some children questionable morally but she looked great in that fur coat yeah you want to look great when you're doing morally questionable things because if you get caught <laughs> you want to be going to the police station in a sweet outfit yes staying on lana you suggested this one actually what do you think is the best lana winter's career moment Sondheim party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Getting to go to whatever that Sondheim party was. Mm. Who could have been there? Bernadette Peters, maybe. Was she alive at this point? Yes. Yes. Wait. Oh, yeah, because it's in like the 2000s. Yeah. She's around. <laughs> yeah, she's. Definitely Patty the Pwn. I'm sure she was there. Patty the Pwn? Yes. Like, and Meryl. she's just going to this party and all these people are there. That's a really good one. How about you? I'm going to say when she's talking to Kit and she, oh, it's actually kind of quite a, a repulsive moment, but I really love it because it's the, the genesis of this hyper cocky, arrogant Lana that I quite like. It's when she says, I have a unique talent and it's, it's to see and understand the fragile male psyche or something like that. Oh, yeah. Which is basically like, I'm going to make a fuck ton of money and I'm going to get real famous by writing and covering despicable men. Yeah, like, I'm happy for her, but also, like, what a weird thing to say. Yep. <laughs> I, like, I think that's such a weird thing to say about yourself. I know, right? It's like, it's like she's writing, she's verbally, I mean, like, she's verbally writing out loud her own like an opinion piece about herself like she's been hired to write a profile like a jq or vogue profile piece about herself and that's what <laughs> she insists on writing to herself yeah like i wouldn't be like well my talent is that i you know i write reviews that really get to the heart of what you know because <laughs> i would sound like a gigantic asshole and i don't care how many serial killers she's locked away she doesn't get to say that about herself it's weird <laughs> it's so weird but it's so smug and self-satisfied it's kind mm. of like the precursor to that throwaway sonheim line where she's just this is me and you're gonna love it <laughs> it very it very much is the precursor <laughs> 
And to finish off with Lana, what do you think is the most iconic Lana Winters moment? I'm tough, but I'm no cookie. <laughs> I really like that line. That's a great one. It's kind of nonsense. <laughs> I'll just be, how dare you call me a cookie? It's just her talking about herself again. We love it. <laughs> how dare you imply that I'm a delicious, sweet treat. <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, that's one of my favorite American horror storylines. Period. I'm I'm going to be real basic and I'm going to say when she pulls the middle finger on bloody on the original bloody face as she escapes Briarcliff. Yes. It's just such an unnecessary fuck you moment to everything. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz you have to be really confident that your plan yeah is, is, <laughs> you managed to pull it off to give somebody the middle finger. Because if he had managed to catch up with that car, that would have been very awkward. (laughs) Moving on to the next award category. And there's plenty to choose from with this one. What would be the most annoying man of asylum? Well, do I even have to say it? (laughs) I'm not even going to say it. We know know who I find the most annoying. I'll leave it at that. We will not speak his name anymore. No. We're done, done with him. <laughs> Dead to me. He's not coming. I swear to God, if Ryan Murphy thinks he's bringing that character back next season, I will write an, a letter, <laughs> an angry letter, saying, please don't do that. <laughs> I love the build up and then the very polite. Yeah, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to his house with a baseball bat and be like, Ryan Murphy. <laughs> I would like you to bring Joseph Bides back, but he has to play a different character. I'm going to smash your mailbox. Bye. (laughs) I would not do that. So I would just write him uh, a sassy tweet. Oh my god. (laughs) How about you? Because I feel like you are more balanced in terms of the... Um, I was going to say (laughs) man-hating. You get what I mean. Just for the record, I do not hate men. Um, I do hate a lot of men, male characters on this show. And there's so many to pick from. In a, in a stunning turn of events, I'm not going to say Adam Levine. I, oh. <laughs> I'm actually going to go with Dr. Arden. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He is a Nazi. So he's, I probably should have yeah. picked him. I mean, he's a Nazi. He's a misogynist. He is a lot of very, very terrible things. Uh, but specifically... I would like to award you know how at the you know how at the Emmys because this is exactly like the Emmys they <laughs> they pick out particular clips to illustrate kind of because they submit specific episodes for consideration for like actors or for shows so they they will always like pick out a particular moment um so I would I would pick out in in this Asylum Awards slash Emmys imaginary ceremony that's going on in my head right now i would pick out the moment where he he paints red with red lipstick nipples and a mouth on a statue of the virgin mary and then topples it and calls it a whore multiple times oh my god yeah (laughs) which mm, just beautiful beautiful display of just the most egregious toxic masculinity 
Yeah, because it's so sort of pointless and yeah, and it's, you've achieved nothing. You've just toppled a statue. <laughs> well, I should say toppling statues in different contexts can be quite powerful. But you're doing you're toppling a statue of the Virgin Mary, which you painted the words whore on. So <laughs> yeah, and also no one no. can actually see you do that. So you're and making no one can those see you do that. Yeah. And you're probably not going to tell everybody that you did that. So everyone's just going to come downstairs and be like, oh, you drew nips on the Virgin Mary. (laughs) That's weird. Oh, well, better order a new one. (laughs) In one of our recurring categories so far, over the two seasons that we've covered, has been the MVP of the episode. For most of Asylum, the MVP has just been Satan. So... What do you think is the best Satan moment? Oh, I mean, there's so many hits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I really liked when Satan kind of went toe to toe with the angel of death. Oh, because that's such a great little moment of, yeah. you know, two beings who exist on a totally different plane of existence to Earth, just having like a... Oh, you know, like they bumped into each other at a party. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is awkward. Who's going to leave first? Because <laughs> like of all the places that these these two all-powerful beings could be, mm-hmm. they happen to be in the same asylum in the same place of the world. You know, I, I like, I just liked it. <laughs> and also there's so much, so much hinting of kind of a much bigger mythology that's at play mm. there that we just never get any information about. And I quite like that. It's a really yeah. good choice. Until we get like a American horror story heaven <laughs> the next season. I would say that mine is when I would award the moment when Satan already possessing Sister May- Mary Eunice is taunting Arden. But kind of at the beginning where it's very subtle. But he already knows. Well, it already knows kind of Arden's weaknesses. So it's just kind of, you know, reveal her sleeping and just in her nightgown and sort of like taking off the, the um, what do you call it, like the bedding. It's just kind of feeding into his not so subtle fetishes and her and his mm. fetishizing of her in particular. Yeah, that's a really good moment. Just love a Machiavellic Satan. And also seeing someone who can really sort of... Um, turn the tables on Arden who's so used to being the man with power the mm. the man who's in control of the situation mm-hmm. and it's like suddenly being faced with the one being that you know you can never never be on top of and that is Satan literal Satan yes and then to finish off our last category at the Asylum Awards <laughs> just made like saying it <laughs> who was the biggest daddy of asylum who was the biggest daddy you suggested this i actually don't even know what you daddies. mean by this <laughs> well because i thought i don't know i i had an answer but now thinking about it the aliens oh are the biggest daddies of them all <laughs> big daddy energy going around being like boom you have a baby boom you have a baby <laughs> Everybody's got babies. <laughs> Interesting. 
Yeah, the aliens haven't really the aliens haven't really sweeped the Asylum Awards, have they? Well, they get the most special of them all, which is yes. the Biggest Daddy Award. I'm going to give the Biggest Daddy Award to Lana Winters. Yes. Yeah, I bet she'd love being called Daddy as well. <laughs> I bet she did. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, you know, as we've spoken about, she's sort of ultimately the protagonist, even in an ensemble show. And has, I think, one of the most satisfying character arcs of American Horror Story so far. Uh, yeah, I think in terms of the sort of A to B <laughs> complete <laughs> journey of it all, I think very, very few characters actually uh, get to reach anywhere at all, right? Mm -hmm. They usually just like die or end up miserable or or sort of their stories end on a little bit of a not like a cliffhanger but often i feel like character stories just end on a eh, okay maybe we'll see what happens next you know like take kit for example yeah we don't really know what happened to kit with his alien babies <laughs> like what what's that like we never get to learn about that but yeah. you know to have a character like lana winters who we see the sort of complete finished arc. I don't really have any questions about her mm -hmm. after this point. I am satisfied in that character's journey. That is quite rare on this show. You're very right. I think that's it for this roundup episode of American Horror Story Asylum. Yeah. Do you have any last words about Asylum? Not in general. <laughs> 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 I was really paralyzed there for a second. It's like, wait, what? It's <laughs> a <laughs> reveal that I kill you at the end of asylum. <laughs> um, honestly, I'm just really excited to dig into Coven. <laughs> Me too. And uh, I'd like to thank our our sponsor, Satan, for <laughs> yeah. for making the Asylum Awards happen. Yeah, thank you, Satan. Please visit www.satan.com to find out who you can get 10% off uh, your next sin. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we will be back next Wednesday with the very first episode of Coven. Yes. In the meantime... <laughs> finally in the meantime send us your thoughts on twitter i'm at clarice lou and i am at anna be demented www.satan.com <laughs> use promo code the next supremes to get 10 percent of your next sin <laughs> please could it just be our fake sponsor from now on <laughs> oh God, yes. well i think our next our sponsor for the whole of the next series uh off coven should just be just tv next individual yeah although she might actually I think is Satan won't sue us because <laughs> he is doesn't exist. True. Papa Legba, he can Ooh. sponsor us.